name is Timo. Um, I'm really excited to be here this morning um, and chatting about how do we encounter God through worship. Last week, Monisi chatted about how do we encounter God through uh, the Word. Um, and today, we're going to be taking a deep dive into worship. When we are talking about worship this morning, we're not talking about worship as a lifestyle, even though it should be a lifestyle. Um, but we are talking about worship in the context of this kind of a worship, a Sunday morning type uh, people, God's people coming to, together to worship. That's what we'll be uh, talking about uh, today. I want to also quickly, before I start, where Becca is over there, um, she's not being rude, writing on a piece of paper and ignoring me. There's actually an expressive art uh, station over there um, because there's lots of different ways in which we can worship. Um, and at any point during the sermon, during the worship, if you feel like, hey, I want to go there and uh, draw something, write something, uh, maybe to give to someone else or just or share with the church, um, please feel free to go there and express your worship in that way. And thank you guys um, for setting that up there for us. Um, I We changed this the, the format of this this morning because we actually want to have, hopefully, lots of time at the end to actually worship. Um, and so I'm going to be as quick uh, as I can be. Um, I'm also going to be a little bit interactive. So if I'm asking for, if I'm asking a question, please will you answer? Yeah. And don't wait for too long. Otherwise, it's going to take forever. Um, so as we dive in, let me quickly pray for us and then we'll get cracking. God, we thank you so much that you are in our midst this morning. Thank you that you are good and that no matter how we uh, feel this morning uh, in terms of our emotions and our hearts, God, thank you that we can stand on the truth that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are with us. Our hope is in you, Father, and we ask this morning that you would meet with us in our hearts, that you would speak to us through your word, through your spirit. Uh, we worship you and praise you this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Awesome. Love the Lord your God with all your... Good, you guys are good. All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Good, who said that? Jesus, good. God, that was a little bit worrying how quiet you guys were. Jesus said that, uh, and he said this is the, you guys know? The first commandment, the most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is love your neighbor. Okay, very important. So as we're talking about worship today, I will be referencing back to this verse because it was Jesus, Jesus tells us, Hey, this is the first, the most important commandment is love God and love your neighbor. Okay. Um, there are lots of verses in the Bible about praise and worship. In fact, the longest book in the Bible is Psalms. And it's slap bang in the middle of the Bible. Maybe it tells us something. Uh, but there are lots of words. And I, today we're going to anchor ourselves uh, in the short scripture uh, where Jesus, uh, they are, Jesus speaks directly into uh, this aspect of worship when he has this interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. You guys know the story well. Um, and so let's jump into, into those verses. I think they're up on the screen. Um, here we go. He says to her, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. As Jesus is speaking to her, He is alluding to the fact that, hey, 
there is a new way of worship that is coming, and it's not just coming, but it now is. It is here. And it's no longer restricted to a certain holy place uh, that's done via ceremony and via ritual. But he says, hey, no, there's a shift coming where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the fact that Jesus says, hey, there are true worshipers, there's true worship, also implies that on the other end of the spectrum there is false worship. And you will see a lot of false worship around us in the world. So let's dive into what is true worship, what is false worship, based on the words here that Jesus gives us. So the first thing we see is that true worship is worship to the Father. This is Jesus talking. So he's talking about his Father, who is our Heavenly Father. Yeah? Now, the, across this world, there are many, many, many very sincere, very devout worshipers, but they are not worshipers of our Father. And Jesus tells us that worship to any other God, any other thing, any man, is not true worship. The only true worship is worship to our Heavenly Father. The second thing we see is that true worship is worship in truth. What does worship in truth mean? Good question. So worship in truth is anchored in the Father. It's anchored in the God that we see in the Bible, that we see in the Scripture. And in order for us to know what the truth is, we also have to have a knowledge and an understanding of who that God is, what that God is, and what He has done in order for us to be able to true worshipers. Okay, so now I'm going to test you guys. Are you guys ready? Yes? You're so ready. These guys are ready. Okay, we're going to split you into three. Okay, from here, Daniel, you're on this side. From here, no, 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 you guys were in the last service. I'm, no, no, I'm going to go this way because these guys already know the answers. I'm going to start on this side. I'm going to split you down this middle, down the middle here. Okay, you guys over here, I want you to shout out at least three things of who God is. Go, just shout. Yes, God is love. Just shout it. Redeemer. Provider. Protector. Creator. Savior. Hey, who said that? You on the wrong? I oh, know you on the right side. Well done. Savior. Okay, good. We need to understand who God is. Okay, you guys ready over here? And deaf community, you're not excused. You have to you have to tell us some things. Okay. Someone has to shout out on their behalf. All right. So I want you guys to sh to shout out some things of what God is. Think of adjectives that we would use to describe God. Majestic, kind, holy, forgiving, almighty. Good, supreme, sovereign, faithful, merciful, perfect, everlasting. Wait, we need some from the deaf community. Everyone pause. Spiritual, nice. Another one. Loving, yes. Joy, yes, love it, well done. Okay, now you guys over here, last one. Can you guys shout out some things now? You can, Daniel and Damaris, okay? Things that God has done for us. Go. 
saved us, created us, loved us, redeemed us, filled us, given us peace, blessed us with every blessing. Guys, you're hogging the conversation, you guys here. Well, I'm hoping you, I hope you get the point. So in order for us to be able to be true worshipers, our worship needs to be rooted in the truth, in the God of the Bible. We need to know who He is, what He is, and what He has done in order for us to be able to worship Him fully. That means, so when we go back to our first scripture, the first commandment, love the Lord with God with all your, just jump straight to this one, mind. So there is this aspect in worship uh, where we have to understand and know who God is and gives uh, worship this element that it is rooted in theology, in doctrine. It is rooted in God's word, which means that it is true. Okay, so part of worshiping God as a true worshiper means worshiping him with all your mind, which means understanding who God is and what he has done for us. Um, that means also we need to love all attributes and all aspects of God. Yeah, so it's easy to love the loving part. Uh, sometimes God can also be confusing or harsh. And we need to love God when he is in good times, in bad times. We love God when he gives and when he takes away. So all attributes of God, we need to have an understanding uh, and knowledge of. Worship is not about, this would be false worship. Worship is not about how it looks or about how it feels. It is not about the band, how good the musicians are, how, how tight the program is, how entertaining it is. If there's good lights flickering, those things are good. And I'm very grateful we have an absolutely wonderful band. But at the end of the day, worship is about the only thing, the only one who is truly true. And that is our Father in heaven. That is what it's about. Great. You got it? Truth. Worshipping truth. With our minds, we understand who God is, what he has done. Worshipping in spirit. If worshipping uh, with our uh, with our mind would be uh, understanding who God is. Worshipping with our heart and our soul. Loving Lord with your God with all your heart and all your soul would be ref reflective of worshipping God in our spirit. Now the word spirit here is not the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking about the human spirit. And he says to the lady, hey, worship is no longer confined to one place, whether it's where you Samaritans believe or what the Jews believe. It is no longer confined to ritual or ceremony or following certain traditions or making certain sacrifices. It is now come to a new place where it is from the spirit. It is from the heart, from deep within us, which means there's this element of authenticity, it's genuine. It's almost like it's it's raw. There is nothing. There is nothing hidden here. We can bring all of our bad things, all of our baggage. We can bring all of that to Christ. Thanks, Mbo. <laughs> In order for worship to become truly from the Spirit, it has to come from a relationship an intimate relationship with our Father. So for example, glad my wife is here for the service. 
it was awkward. I had to look at all these like men in the other service and say these things to them. But when I, I think of my relationship, my love for my wife, it is, uh, it is not based on my feelings. It is based on a commitment that I've made to her. Yeah. However, when I think of my wife, I am overcome with wonderful feelings, with wonderful emotions, because she's wonderful. I love her. And because of that, as I, uh, as I love her, I'm going to express that in, in an outward way. I might say something to her, you look beautiful this morning, and you do. Or I might do something for her. I could get her some roses or take her on a cheap date night to the marriage course, for example. But it is natural and normal and expected that, my, that there's going to be an emotion attached uh, from my heart for her and that I'm going to express that in some kind of way. If that was not there, I would imagine if we had to go to the marriage course and there were some wise people there, they'd probably be like, I think maybe we need to work on something. There is something missing. There is no emotion in your relationship. And it's the same when we are worshiping in spirit. It comes from a relationship that we have with our Father who loves us unconditionally. And so it should involve some emotion. It should be experiential. And I would say that if it is not, then there is something missing. And so we see that worship, true worship, has got both this piece of uh, uh, understanding and knowledge in your mind, and it's also got this experience and this emotion that comes from your heart. <laughs> Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, pretty harsh words, people honor me, these people, he was talking about the Jewish leaders, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. These guys had all the knowledge in their mind, in their heads. That was good. But their hearts were far away from Jesus. And so it has to be, it has to be both. And I think we need to be careful that if our worship is becoming uh, mechanical, ritualistic, if it's primarily or only based on tradition, on liturgy, those things are good. But if that is the main focus, then there is something that we're missing. And what we see here is that what, what Jesus is saying is any action relating to worship, whether it's reading, whether it's singing, whether it's a certain posture that we have, it needs to come from a heart that is committed uh, and passionate about the God that we serve. So true worship involves heart, soul, and mind. It's not either or. So in fact, when we look at in spirit and truth, that word in, it connects Spirit and truth. So, for example, Tash, can you stand up, please? Excellent. Okay. Can you wiggle your fingers at us? Okay. How many fingers does Tash have? Ten. Very good. Very good. What color is Tash's hair? Black. Is that it? No grays yet? Some grays. Okay. It's black and gray. Okay. So, we could, we could describe Tash as having black hair and ten fingers. Yeah? Okay. What we can't do is say, hey, there's Tash. She has red hair and ten fingers. Would that be accurate? No. The ten fingers is accurate, but the red hair? It's not true. Okay, in order for it to be Tash, it has to be both. We also can't say Tash has black and gray hair and twelve fingers. Would that be true? No. And it's, thank you, Tash. So it's the same in worship. It can't be 
either truth or spirit. It has to be both truth and both spirit. We cannot have a preference for one over the other. In order for us to be true worshippers, it has to be both. John Piper, in his book, he writes, Truth, with, uh, truth without emotion produces death orthodox, dead orthodoxy and a church full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the disciple of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional, lost my place, and who love deep and sound doctrine, strong affections for God, rooted in truth, are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. It has to be both. Guys, Jesus says, it is such people that the Father is seeking. He's looking for these people. Let's be those kind of people. Okay, are you guys ready to get practical? Yes. We, so we're going to look at a little bit as what is this, uh, what is a biblical atmosphere of worship look like? Okay, I can see some of you guys are a little bit like. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask for some volunteers. Uh, if we can cue the sound clip up there. Um, Mbo, can you come help me? Doritu, come on up here. See, now I'm going to ask Joe. I picked Joe because he's got the best shirt in the house and we had to show it off. Okay, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to that praise song that we were singing. We're going to put it up, just the chorus, like 30 seconds. And we what, want, what we want you guys to do is dance. That's it. Any questions? Okay, and you guys must cheer them along as they dance. Okay. Yeah, well done, guys. Well done. Take a seat. Very good. I saw um, that was that was excellent. Did you guys watch Gloria? <laughs> Gloria was like this. So, guys, before we dive into the practical piece, I wanted to share this with you because we are all going to be different. Yeah. So, Joe, for example, on this side, he was pulling out all these cool moves. Yeah, he actually had some really good rhythm. He was doing like really good twists. He's the guy that all of us wish we'd, we would look like when we were dancing. Yeah? Dorito, I don't know what he was doing, but he was doing weird, weird things. Hey? And he was passing the ball. That's what he was doing. But basically, the way Dorito was dancing was fine. But it was kind of a little bit like, sheesh, man, I don't know what's going on there. And then I think more was like, sheesh, man, I'm just keeping it safe. I'm just going to... I'm just going to keep it here. It's not risky. No one's going to think I'm weird. I can just keep going that way. And what I want to say to you guys this morning is that the important part was they all danced. And I can promise you that when God looks down at us and whether we're dancing like Joe 
or like in Dorito, or like in Bonisi, he's not going to be like, oh my word, in Dorito, please stop it. Because the talents and the gifts and the spirit that Dorito has come from God. He's going to be like, yeah, that's my point. Check that. Pass the ball move. Yeah. And so God, when he looks at us, when we are dancing, he's going to, it's just going to look perfect. It's going to look amazing. Like those synchronized swimmers at the Olympics. It's just like, it's like, wow, how did they do that? And when we're singing. Okay. So I have to admit, I have been sometimes, not in this church, but in previous churches, of course, where there's someone behind me and it's like, man, they shouldn't be singing. They are tone deaf. And they're belting it out. And if that's you, I want to ask for your forgiveness for one, for thinking for that of that. But I want to tell you, belt it out. Because that voice that you have, that's what God's given you. And I can promise you, God has somehow got these supernatural ears that he's going to take whatever you're doing and he's going to make it sound like it's an extra harmony. It is going to be beautiful in his, in his ears. And maybe if you can't make a sound, or you can't make words, or you can only make certain groans, bring them to the Lord, because to thou God, it sounds beautiful. That's what he's given to you, and that's what he wants you to bring to him as a form of worship. Okay, now, what are we going to do? There's, there's lots of words in the Bible for praise. Uh, in English, typically, uh, the translations either say praise, or worship, or bless, or sing, something along those lines. When you look at the Hebrew, there's like a lot of different words for praise and for worship. And to really understand what does a biblical atmosphere of worship look like, we have to dig a little bit into the Hebrew. I'm not going to go to all of them, but I've picked the most common ones to share with you today because I think they give us some really good insight. So you guys ready? Here we go. Number one, the first word is halal, H-A-L-A-L. And it means to jump, dance, to be loud and clamorous. It also means, or here's, here's some other words, listen to these. Crazy exuberant praise, to be clamorously foolish, to boast, shine or rave, to act madly. Kind of like what David was doing. You guys know the story where he came back dancing and he said, hey, I'm going to do things even more dignified than this. That is halal. And this is the word in the Bible that is most oftenly used uh, when it comes to God's people praising him. It's this one, looking foolish, crazy for God. It's kind of like when you see, uh, whatever, pick your whatever soccer team, if they make a final, it's like even before the final, the, there hasn't even been kickoff, there's a camera on them, people are like, yeah, they're going mad for some people they've never met before. And the game hasn't even started. But it's kind of like that emotion that uh, where halal comes from. Now halal, uh, that's where we, where we get our word hallelujah from. We were singing hallelujah. Yeah, the end piece uh, is the name for God. Yeah. And halal means to boast, brag, make a show, even to the point of looking ridiculous like, like that, whatever, whatever Dorito was doing. So hallelujah generally sort of in English is translated as praise God. Yeah, and we even say that, praise God, 
Amen. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I know how it goes. William, you're good at those words. But we say that a lot. But hallelujah actually is much more of a big, joyous, crazy praise. It is big. And I have to admit that it's not one that comes naturally to me because I grew up in a little bit more of a conservative sort of background. And for me to be a little bit crazy, especially in front of other people, it's difficult. But when I think about who God is, what God is, and what he has done for me, how could I not? Hey, because he is worthy. Two other, two other words relating to dancing and jumping. I just want to share with you. One is, I don't know how to say it, ghoul, something like that. But it means to spin around under the influence of any violent emotion. Isn't that cool? That's how we can praise God. Like when a, when a, a kid has a birthday party and they get like a cool gift or something. They're like, <laughs> yeah, just because they're so excited. That's how God wants us to worship him. One other one is Alats to jump for joy. These are all part of worship. Word number two, yada. It means to throw your hands up and forward while making a confession to God. Made up of two words, yad, open hands, and ah also refers to God. It is literally an extension and throwing forward of open hands to God. Um, some of those of you who watched the Rugby World Cup, the Argentina fans, somehow, for whatever reason, they did this. When they were cheering for their team, it was this, or like this, or this. And it was amazing. When they all did in unison, I was like, wow, that's cool. I would love to be one of their players. And I think that's kind of like what Yada looks like, is a lifting and a throwing of hands to our God with a confession uh, of who he is. Number three. Toda, this also has to do with your hands. Toda means to lift your hands in thanksgiving. It's very different to the yada. It's a lifting of hands in thanksgiving. So that is to express a visible adoration to God, to revere Him. And it's normally coupled with a, a sacrifice of, of thanksgiving for who God is and what He has done. Number four, Shabbat. Say it, Shabbat. Yeah, say it loudly. Shabbat. Yeah, it means a loud, joyous shout of testimony. Of testimony. So this means to proclaim with a loud voice, unashamed, to shout, exclaim, to declare triumph. Literally, it means to raise a holy roar. <laughs> and there is such a cool, we sang it in the song, uh, our shout is the praise that brings the walls of Jericho down. Something like that. Our praise is a shout that brings the walls of Jericho down. The reason why those words are in that song is because it is this word that is being used. So in Joshua 6, 5, it says on the seventh day, so they were marching around the city uh, seven times when the, uh, with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, a Shabbat. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So this is not just a random yell or shout. This is a holy roar. It is a declaration of triumph, of victory, of who God is 
of what he has done. It comes with a majesty and a power that can only come from God. One other one uh, relating to shouting, one of the Hebrew words uh, is ranan. And this one is described as to creak, emit a stridulous, loud and harsh sound. To creak. Kind of like sounds like one of those things your kids do sometimes and you kind of have to close your, your ears. Um, I can imagine Tash, they actually moved the other way around. I can imagine Tash fetching Megan from the airport and as Megan comes out, Tash going, exactly like that. It's kind of like a shriek, it's shrill. It's like, whoa, it's a little bit too much. But to God, it is a form of worship because it comes from deep within us, from within our hearts. That's what God is desiring and looking for. Number five, Zamar. This is to worship the Lord while playing an instrument. So this one's a little bit different because it's a musical term for praise. So God delights when we pick up our instruments and we make music to him. This one is harmonious and it's collective. Number six, Barak. So in Psalm 66, 20, uh, it says, blessed be God. So that's actually blessed is the word Barak. It can also be translated as praised be to God. And it means a kneeling down before God or a bowing, a, a, a bending at the waist. That is the action. It's an act of adoration. It's a yielding to a king. We see that in the movies. Yeah, there's a, some king or queen or something sitting and someone comes in and they kind of have to do a little bow or something like that as they come in. When we enter through worship and come before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, it is appropriate for us to come to him in reverence. It's appropriate for us to kneel before him as our King. It's appropriate for us to bow before him because he is worthy. And the last one, Tehila, not Tequila. Tehila. This is a spontaneous unrehearsed song of the Lord from your spirit. So this one's not as common uh, as some of the other words. You find it in Psalm 22 verse 3 where it says, But you are holy, you inhabit the praise of your people. Or you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. This is something that's spontaneously sung deep from within your spirit. It is unique to this moment and it comes about from something that is personal to you, that God has done for you, or that you're acknowledging personally about God. It's also what the Bible calls a new song. So in Psalm 40, uh, the writer says, He has put a new song in my mouth, a praise, a tehillah, to our God. Tehillah praise, tehillah worship is also the only worship uh, that God refers to as, uh, as possessive, as a possession. He inhabits. He is in there. It is his. It's pretty cool. A very cool story about Tehillah worship is in Chronicles, uh, where God's people are uh, going into battle with a bunch of the tribes, surrounding tribes. Uh, and this is what it says, 2 Chronicles 20. After consulting the people, the king anointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. Okay, now that praising is the word halal. Do you guys remember what, what that one was? 
Yes, which one? Jump, dance, crazy, brag, boast. Yes? Okay, so now picture, there's the army, and there's, there's the singers, but they're not like walking like a choir. Yeah? They are dancing, shouting, singing, boasting in their God. Okay, they are singing praises. They're giving halal praise to God. This is what they're saying. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. You can see they're doing it in truth. They know his faithful love endures forever. Even though while they're walking into battle, his faithful love endures forever. They are proclaiming it. They're praising it. Then verse 22. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, this praise is not halal. This praise is tehillah. It's the same English word. It is a different word in the Hebrew. At the very moment they began to sing and give tehillah, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. End of the story, basically they all killed. They, they all killed each other. They didn't have to. Is, the Israelites won. They won the battle. And so we have an incredible story here where people are worshipping in spirit and in truth. They're giving halal worship to God as they're going into battle. This, is, this is, must be tough to do. And then as they get closer to the battle, they halal praise turns to Tehillah. It's from deep within the spirit. It's spontaneous. And they start singing out of themselves of things that God is to them, of what God has done to them. And as they start doing that, God starts meeting them exactly where they are at. He starts working on their behalf exactly where they are at. And he defeats their enemies. He gives them victory. And in our worship, we can expect the same. And so it's really important that when we come to worship, when there are these times where there is a tehillah worship happening, where there is space in our worship, where maybe there's no one singing and there's just instruments playing. And sometimes you can feel it, yeah? Sometimes it's like, man, it felt like God was there. <laughs> it's because he is, he's inhabiting our praises as we, as we give tehillah praise. That's why it feels that way. That's why sometimes you even start feeling a little bit emotional. It's like something is happening inside of us. And as we do that, as God inhabits our praises, the supernatural dynamic of God's presence, His supernatural gifts start happening. He starts meeting us exactly where we are at. In this case, He gave them victory. In our case, He knows where you are at. And that's the time when He's going to come and He's going to meet with us. That's the time when he, he will use us as a community through this, the gifts of the Spirit to bless one another, to serve one another, to learn, to love one another, by bringing words of encouragement, prophecies, tongues, whatever it may be, healing. It comes in those Tehillah moments. And so it's really important, church, that when we have those church, uh, when we have these times during worship, is we need to allow for them. And sometimes because it's uncomfortable, it's like, uh, okay, I'm just going to slip out. Now I'm going to quickly check my phone or something. We need to allow for those to happen. In fact, I think we need to plan for them to happen. We do. We need to plan that space. And when we are, we, as we are worshiping, and we know, hey, at some point, this halal, this like, praise the Lord, it's going to turn to Tehillah. We can be expectant. We need to be seeking for that worship.
And when it comes, we need to respond. Just like the just like the Israelites responded and God met with them in 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 their uh, in their circumstances, we need to respond. If you're like, man, I really feel uncomfortable in those times. I want to just encourage you on a few things. Is don't run away from them. Allow them to happen. When you're in those moments, take the time to reflect on who God is, what he is, what has he done for you. And then I challenge you to respond. And responding could mean, hey, I'm simply going to, I'm going to say a prayer out loud. I'm going to say a few words out loud. I'm just going to speak them to tell God I'm thankful or that I love him or that I need him. It could be that you have a melody that you want to sing a few songs. Sing them, but respond. Our deaf brothers and sisters, even though you might feel like, hey, I can't lift up a song to God, you've got a spirit within you that God's placed within you. And whatever you can bring from that spirit, any utterance, any actions, any posture is a worship to God. Bring them to God. Those are the gifts and the talents that he has given you. And so in summary, the ways in which we can worship practically and help build and help come alongside the worship team to create a biblical atmosphere, you can categorize into three areas. Voice, posture, and hands. Very easy. Voice, you can speak, you can shout, you can sing. And not you can, you should. You should speak, you should shout, you should sing. Posture, you can, you should kneel or bow sometimes. We should stand and proclaim and we should dance, jump or spin. If you want to spin, spin. These are postures that are expected of us. And last one, hands. We can play instruments. If you can play an instrument, play one. If you can't, Playing an instrument. Play an instrument. You can clap. You can lift your hand in thanksgiving. And you can lift and you can throw them forward in exaltation to our God. This is the type of worship that we want to see at one tribe. Not just truth or spirit. We want to see truth and spirit. Not just clapping. But clapping and dancing and singing and jumping and spinning. Because all of those are what we see in scripture help build an atmosphere of biblical worship where God meets us. There's a few passages which I think are really important that we don't ignore as we talk about worship. 1, 14, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul speaks a lot about worship in the corporate setting. Um, and I think there are some elements we have to uh, uh, be aware of. So one really speaks into this desire. So we've talked a lot about actions and to a degree the desire coming from the heart but Paul tells, uh, tells us here, uh, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So as we come into worship, God wants us to, he expects us to, to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit and not to squash them. He wants them to come out. In verse 26, he says, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So guys, as we come into worship, it is not just the band's responsibility to create a biblical atmosphere of worship. 
each of us, God has given his spirit. Each of us have got talents and gifts that he's given us. And we all have a responsibility and expectation on all of us to bring those when we come to worship. And as we do that, it allows us to build a biblical atmosphere of worship. And so, come prepared to worship. Come prepared to share. And everything, whatever we're doing, is to the building up of church. So I think it's easy to think when someone's dancing like crazy that, ah, they're just making it about themselves. And if that's the case, then it is not true worship. And so it's important that everything that we do in worship must be to build up the church. So, uh, last one. Verse 33. Paul says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So as much as we have freedom to worship, not just freedom, but also an expectation that we worship God uh, in a way that we are comfortable with, uh, and in a way that we'll, that even if there's other people watching, it's okay. There's also there's also a balance here because it has to always be edifying for the church. So what we don't want worship to happen is for for uh, to be drawing attention to man, to ourselves, or to be a distraction or a disruption. So if William is feeling it in his spirit and he wants to spin around with joy, he should do it. But maybe not right next to Catherine and give her like a slap on the back of her head as he spins because that is not edifying to Catherine or to the church. Yeah? So we want to worship in freedom, but we also want to be conscious that everything must be done to edify the church. So if William needs space to worship, get out get out the chair, come into the aisle, come forward, go to the side, find space and worship God. But please don't stay in your chair and kind of just do just keep doing this because you don't want to no, we're here to to lift up and glorify the King of Kings and we want him to come and, and work um in our midst. So as I tie it back all up, I'm going to go back to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbor. How do we do that during worship? Well, the way that we love God in worship is that we take action. We participate. We engage. We contribute in worship. That is the way that we can love God. How do we love others? We love others by exercising the gifts of the Spirit that God has given us. Those are not for ourselves. Those are for uh, the blessing and serving and loving of others, for the blessing, serving, and loving of the church. And if in worship you feel like, hey, I've got, a, I've got a word of encouragement. I've got a scripture I feel like God's laid on my heart. I've got a picture I need to draw to go give someone. I'm not sure why, but I feel like God's placed it on my heart. That is how we love our neighbor. It is our responsibility. In some ways, if you choose not to, it's almost like you're robbing your neighbor of the blessing of God. God wants to use you to bless and love others. And so let's be faithful to bring the gifts of the Spirit forward and to love one another in that way.